Ever wonder what a publicist actually does? Well, folks, you are in luck today. My chat with Mickey Mickelson. He is the owner and founder of Creative Edge Publicity, and he is going to share what he does as a publicist for all of his many authors. So grab your cup of coffee, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Let Fear Bounce. This is your host, Kim Langling, and I am so pleased and blessed that you are spending a small part of your day today with myself and my special guest, Mickey Mickelson. He is the founder of Creative Edge Publicity. And in 2006, he began his work in the literary and bookseller industry as the special events manager for Chapters Indigo, Canada's largest bookstore chain in St. Albert, Alberta. Now, ten years later, he formed Creative Edge Publicity, an aggressive public publicity firm that specializes in advocating for both the traditional and the independent artists. Now, since founding Creative Edge, Mickey has signed some top talents in the literary industry, including multiple award-winning authors, New York Times and USA Today best-selling authors, and successful indie authors, many of whom have become international best-selling authors while working within the Creative Edge brand. Mickey, thank you so much for joining me today on Let Fear Bounce. I have been looking forward to this conversation. Kim, thank you so much for having me, and it's just a pleasure. And you brought a number of my authors on, and I want to say publicly that I just really appreciate the support. My team have loved everything that you've done for them. So I really appreciate that. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I have absolutely enjoyed having your your folks on. And folks, Mickey and I have been working together probably about a year now. Um, It's been a year, yeah. Yeah, about a year. And I've had so many of his amazing authors on Let Fear Bounce. So if you're a a regular listener, you will will know who they are. Um, They were just amazing folks, and I look forward to doing, doing more in the future. I love meeting all of them and hearing their stories and how their brains work, you know, when they come up with their stories, you know, horror authors and poets and gosh, we run the gamut. So you, you represent an awful lot of amazing talent, whether they are just beginning their journey or to, like it says in your bio, New York Times and USA Today bestselling authors, You've, you run the gamut with all of them. So tell me, how did you decide to represent those that are just starting out on their journey and those that are well-established and doing quite well for themselves? It's all back to interview. And thank you for the question. It's all back to the interview process. Um, I've said this multiple times on multiple forums that I don't read my clients' books. I I don't want to be swayed if I feel that it's going to be a bad book and it's not going to be marketable. And on the other side of the coin, I don't want to be providing favoritism because I believe that a book is stellar. I'm not an editor. I'm a reader of comic books and novels, but that's not what my wheelhouse is. My interest in signing an individual, whether they be full, full on award winner, New York Times bestseller, or an indie starting out, it's all about what their vision is and, and what they want to do from a, a media and marketing platform standpoint. If, if an author wants full on stars and they want to be on Good Morning America, and that's the first thing they're telling me, and it's their first book, and they're, they're serious, they're legit, that's what they want, I'm not going to sell, sign that individual because I want people 
who want to build something over a specified time and length. And yeah, I might be able to get them a spot of Good Morning America right off the get-go. But number one, are they going to be ready for that? And number two, are they going to be able to do something with that and know what to do with that, that spot? Because let's say, for example, I booked them a Good Morning America and they're a brand new debut author with their first indie published book. And they get to see the stars and the lights, but then they are on stage and it's live TV and they say a lot of things that they shouldn't be saying. Well, now we've broken that opportunity for virtually everything. So I like to start small and, and build from that with all of my team, not just them. You know, and I, I completely agree with that. And I think that, and I've spoken to quite, quite a lot of authors. I mean, outside even the ones of, you know, that you and I have worked together with, and they will freely admit, you know, if they were to be put at the beginning of their careers, put on, I'm going to just say big stage in front of big cameras, they would either freeze or they would end up rambling and they wouldn't have their focus. I mean, I, I don't think that a lot of people don't realize it is quite nerve wracking and it's not so easy to be in front of a camera speaking when you realize that there are potentially millions and millions of people watching you or listening to you. It, it doesn't come natural. Let's put it that way. It doesn't no, come absolutely. natural to a lot of people. So I appreciate that that's your approach with your authors. Um, and I know that I've, I've, you and I have spoken before and I've watched a couple of your other interviews as well recently. And hey, well done on those. I mean, that's awesome. Thanks. That's Thanks. awesome. But Thanks. you, I, I've heard you mention in each that the way that you kind of vet your authors, but also you have to personally click with them. Explain that to me. It's a personality thing. I represent over 100 authors and I've signed over 100 authors. I've probably declined in the last six years in doing this because we started in 2016. I've probably declined 50, 75 authors based on personality. If I'd signed those 75 that weren't a mesh for me personality wise, how are they gonna mesh with the rest of my team who also was able to click with me? We don't sign egos. We don't sign individuals that, again, want the stars, but not do the work to get the stars. And, and we don't sign individuals who I feel are not going to be marketable. And when I say that, I'm talking about non-professional headshots, using a selfie on their website. And you can tell it's a selfie. Using a book cover that was handmade. And again, you can tell it's been handmade. So I'm always looking for quality. And that's not to say that I'm only looking for award winners or New York Times bestsellers or USA Today bestsellers, because that's not the case. I signed lots of debut indies, but those debut indies, they've put some work into presenting their brand properly. And they understand what it takes to work with a publicist. Lots of authors don't understand that. And then they don't understand why I haven't signed them. Well, there's reasons. You brought up a good, a good point there, what it takes to work with a publicist. So explain that, expound on that statement. And this might sound negative, but I think it's important to share. With lots of the author interviews I have, there's a misconception that the minute you hire a publicist, that publicist has a magic wand and wings that magic wand around and all of a sudden there's no more work needed on the author's side 
because a publicist has got everything. I can book an author for a show. I can book an author for a blog post or a guest post in a magazine or even a cover story. But if they're not willing to answer the questions, because most of those are written interviews, and they're not willing to take the time to properly think out a decent edited professional answer, or if they decide this day that they have a migraine or they're not feeling it today and they no show on a show, that's things that I have to fix and I have to rebuild on. So there's work involved in working with a publicist. Just because I get someone a gig, it doesn't stop there. They have to do the episode. If that episode goes well, they have to share that episode. Because what's the point of doing a show if you're not going to share it? So there's work involved. And when I have these author interviews, I stress that. I mean, my policy is one no-show, their contracts usually cancel unless they have a really, really, really good reason for it. So when you, you started this Creative Edge publicity in 2016, right? March of 2016. March of 2016. And you've got over 100 authors that you've signed, 50 to 75 yeah. that you've declined. Yeah. What, what is it that you see for Creative Edge in the next three years? Well, we just, um, we're doing more affiliations. We're doing more merger capabilities. No, I'm not merging my business with somebody else, but I am working directly with another company in Houston, Texas on a number of projects, uh, Abundantly Social. They're a mainstream social media company out of Houston. And together with Abundantly Social, we've actually taken over Top Shelf Magazine, which in my mind is a major literary magazine that's been functioning for the last five to six years. I mean, they've had covers like Brad Thor, Brad Metzler, Sandra Brown, um, a couple of my clients, Tosca Lee was a cover, Robert J. Sawyer was as well. They have a very stellar reputation in the industry and, and we're gonna be putting our energies into that. And the, the whole focus of Top Shelf, what we wanna do with it, and I'm gonna publicly say it here, is we want it to be known as the book community magazine. And what I mean by that is very, very simple. We wanna showcase a combination of indies, and traditional authors, both on the covers and inside. We want to focus and profile bookstores across the United States and North America. We want to focus on libraries and book reviews and guest posts. And there's even going to be some comic related standpoints to it. But really the whole, and we're going to talk about festivals and conventions and stuff as well. But the whole focus of it really is to be a book community magazine. Is there going to be some ad space? Sure, there's going to be some ad space. Am I going to make a ton of money at this? Or are me and Abundantly Social going to make a ton of money at this? The answer is no, probably not. But you know what? That's not why we're doing it. We're doing it as a showcase for the book community as a whole. And that's what we really want to leverage that magazine for. So in the next three years, our, our mandate is to build that magazine up. And, and I guess to a point, build my clients up because they're going to be getting some coverage in that magazine. But I want to emphasize it's not going to be a creative edge magazine or an abundantly social magazine. Yeah, we're going to showcase our people. We're going to go showcase a lot more people too, if they're open to it. So, yeah. 
That is exciting stuff right there. That That's really exciting stuff. And I love how not only are you going to be showcasing authors from indie authors to already well-established authors, but you mentioned bookstores and libraries. And those two things, to me, are dear to my heart because yeah. you, you're not finding them open very often anymore. And brick-and-mortar bookstores, at least in my neck of the woods where I live, they are very few and far between to find. You, you can't, I only know of one, and that is 45 miles away. So an hour drive to get to the one bookstore I actually know of that's still open. Libraries are hit and miss now, if, if they're open or not, due to, you know, the way the world is and things like that currently. But I, that, yeah. that just did my heart good when I heard. Aww. Well, and we know that Amazon rules the world when it comes to the book world. We get that. It's, it's a virtual world. Ebooks are a thing. Audiobooks are a thing. And, and we know that Amazon's the big fish in the, in the pond. We all know that. I could publicly say that. It's common ground. I want to emphasize this. I'm not against Amazon. I love Amazon for the very fact that they do have a forum for authors to showcase their works. However, I also think the bookstores have a place in this industry as well. And that's why we want to provide that focus because... They are very community-minded, especially small independent ones, and they provide a lot of support to all kinds of authors, indies included. So we wanted to bring that to the forefront with this, and that's part of it, if that makes any sense. No, it does. It completely makes sense to me, and I, I love the idea because um, there's actually there's so many different avenues you could go. Now, see, my, my background is sales and marketing. For well, like, there you go. For like 24 years. So now I, have I knew that about you, Kim. I knew that just talking to you for two <laughs> seconds. I've got all kinds of ideas whirling in my head. <laughs> but how cool would it be to potentially have like a, a virtual reading or signing, but taking place being recorded in a library? So mm -hmm. for, folks exactly. that, for folks that maybe can't get to a library, but still want to have that feel. I love walking into a library. I love the way that the atmosphere feels, the smell that you get, and just walking up and down rows and rows of books. Uh, you know, in my head, the angels are singing, ah! you know, I'm <laughs> surrounded by books. I love the library and bookstores are the same way for me. And I miss not having those readily available anymore. Yeah. I, I'd actually do miss that. But do I like Amazon? Of course. It gives you, oh my goodness, the whole world of books has opened up to you through there. So both of them, I think everything has their plus and minuses, but there is, like you said, there's a place for all of it. There is. To live together it, happily. There's a misconception that a book marketability and shelf life is three to six months. That's what the traditional publishers say. Um, that's what the publicists at those publisher publishers say, because their mandate is to work on a book for three months and then move on to the next release, because there are so many releases that the Penguin and the Hachettes of the world do. And I'm not going to fault them for that. That's their business structure and that's their corporate model. And I get that. As I was saying, the shelf life is typically between three and six months within the, the new book space. I disagree with that process. I've promoted backlist books and gotten media opportunities on backlist books that were written five years ago, six years ago. We've relaunched books that were published in 2018 and 2017 and 2016. And those books became, and by indies, those books became international bestsellers. 
because there's a reader for any kind of book. And if the media have not seen that book, even though it's an older book date-wise, it's still fresh because there was never coverage on it. Um, and another example is I'll use New York Times bestseller Tosca Lee. Her latest duology, which is a pandemic duology, I've been actively promoting those two books for two years, three years. The first book came out in 2018. She is still getting interviews today on those books. In fact, she had a magazine cover story last month on a book that was written three years ago. I think outside the box, I guess. I'm told I do, and this is part of that. I think you have to think outside. Well, and I'm the same type of person, so I guess I fully agree with that that thought process of thinking outside the box because there is an awful lot of opportunity where many, and I guess I, I don't mainstream, I don't know if how I want to word that, they stay in that tunnel of what they're told to do and how they're supposed to do it or how it's always been done. I love jumping out of that box because outside of the box, there is all kinds of opportunity and color and music and people. And in order to reach those that you might not have originally thought of reaching, you have to think outside the box. And I love the fact that you continue, like you just mentioned with uh, your author, Tosca, for two to three years, you've been helping this author by getting them, you know, regular interviews and stuff for books that were written two and three years ago, and they're still mm -hmm. going strong. I don't know of any other publicists that actually do that. Well, think about it this way. How are you going to hit every, 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 every media outlet in six months? Not it's impossible. You yeah. can't. And so they target all the big ones and all the major publications and all the trade reviewers. But what happens is they're missing out on opportunities with a lot of reader focused, smaller podcasts and blogs that attract buyers of books because they're all readers. Cause you can't hit everybody in six months. It's impossible. I've proved it. Well, so. now, you know, the, the larger ones where they, you know, they, only market to larger type audiences. I don't think that that's actually hitting your ideal reader. That's it's just not. like a mass in general, let's throw it out here and some humans might see it. But the way you do it, and I do appreciate the way that you, the way that you market and promote your folks because you're hitting the grassroots people. Mm -hmm. Those ones that are that are slogging away writing their own books, but they're still avid readers. I don't know a single author that is not an avid reader, and I count myself in that. But those are, those are you know, that's the audience. Those are your readers, the grassroots people, the people that live in the town next over from you, or maybe they live in Australia, and they've read something similar to one of your authors, and then they discover your author through a podcast, and you've got, you know, more worldwide recognition for an indie author who never thought that that would be possible so i love how you i love how you promote and how your brain works with that thinking outside the box and reaching out to folks you know well like me actually well you know, and here's an example of that kim i just had an author interview this week with an author i'll be signing and announcing in the next couple of months and she's a pretty big deal she had an interview on a national show 
I'm not going to name the show just due to privacy, but she had an interview on an international show, actually. And she checked her sales after that interview happened. She sold 11 more books. Now, she went on a smaller podcast a month later that was reader, reader focused, and she tracked her sales again. Right after the interview aired, she sold an additional 61 books. So that smaller podcast from a sales perspective did more for her career than this international major network show. And I'm of the belief of that. So whenever authors ask me, what's the reach of this? Or, well, I only want to hit millions of people. Why don't you want to hit the, the focused people who are actually interested in your book and what you have to say instead of just the general public? Because the general public does not hold a large percent of your readers. They do not. And they a lot don't. of times, you know, most times books are kind of, they're kind of niche, you know, it's not, a, it's a, not everybody reads horror books, but there, I mean, there are millions and millions of people who do, but yeah. if someone's just marketing their horror book to me as a reader, that's not, that's not typically what I read. So, you know, I would be passing that up. I, I love your example of on an international show, they sold 11 books and then on, you know, grassroots show, they sold 61 that's right. powerful. That's powerful right there. It's fact. Now, having said that, would I love to get an author on Oprah or on the Today Show or Good Man in America? Absolutely, I would. But not for sales reasons. For elitist reasons to say, I got my client on Good Morning America. Yay for me. That's going to help their branding. I'm not so sure it's going to help their sales, though, from an overly perceptive aspect. And I, I also really appreciate how, and it's a main theme running through through what we've been talking about and what we've talked about in the past is leave your ego at the door, folks. Yep. No time for that in this industry. And if this book industry, people don't believe it. It's a very, very small industry. And word travels very, very, very fast. So you have to be very careful about how you talk. And I mean, maybe I'm going to make some enemies today out of this interview. And that's okay. Because what I'm saying is factual. Because I've got, I've proven it. I appreciate just the whole concept of, you know, keep it real. Yeah, exactly. Real. You know, that's, that's how I am as a person. That's how my podcast is. I would rather have real people on than someone that's just making noise. <laughs> and that's how I sign my people. I want to sign real people. I don't want to sign egos and I don't want to sign fluff. Transparency is the best way to go always. I agree. I agree. So, you know, I have a question. I've been wanting to ask you this for quite some okay. time. Okay. Am I in trouble? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a writer? I'm not. And I've been asked this question multiple times. If I ever was to write a book, it would be on the 1960s history because I'm obsessed with that. I'm obsessed with the Beatles. I'm obsessed with the British invasion. I'm obsessed with the JFK assassination. I'm obsessed with Martin Luther King, all that stuff. If I were, was ever to write a book, that's what it would be about. But you know what? I'm not interested in writing a book. I'm a publicist. I represent over 100 authors. The minute I put my pen to paper or pen to laptop and start writing a book, that's more time that's taking away from my client and out of respect for them 
first and foremost, I always want to keep them top of mind. And, and just doing that because I've, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I'm a lucky individual. I get to work with some of the greatest literary minds on this planet and I get to do it every single day. That is awesome. And I love hearing that. I love hearing that. And I know that your authors, I am sure, appreciate that mindset and all of the the effort that you put in. Um, otherwise, you wouldn't have over 100 authors. And yeah, you get you get inquiries each week. You had mentioned to me in a, a previous chat that we had, you get a number of inquiries each week from new authors that want you to represent them. I've had 10, every, 10 interviews this week alone. And it's only Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. This happens all the time. So That's... whether I'm doing things right or wrong, I must be doing something right because people keep contacting me. So, so I must have either a really pretty face or lots of testimonials, one of the two. So. And I guarantee <laughs> it's not the first part. So there you go. <laughs> Oh, gosh, that's funny. Tell me, share with me and the listeners one thing about you that might surprise people. You've got I tossed that one at you, didn't I? Yeah, you got me <laughs> stuck. Um, I'm a big comic book and vinyl fan. I don't read a lot of literature. I, I don't. And, and there's a misconception that publicists have to read the books to have success. I think I've read maybe three books out of all my in terms of clients. Over a hundred, I've read three books and we're having success every single day. So, yeah, I mean. So you enjoy comic books and vinyl? Yeah, I'm a big Batman DC fan, not Marvel actually. I don't like Marvel all that much. I'm a big DC fan and I'm all about records. I, I love records. Well, and it's got, it, it has such a different feel. I mean, I grew up, you know, yeah. And for any for anyone out there that's under forty listening, vinyl is actual records that you play on a record player. <laughs> yeah, that's what I grew up to. I had my little record player that looked yeah. like looked like a little suitcase. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I know. Up, yeah, and I yeah. I play my little forty fives on, and you had to put that little plastic disc in the middle to hold it. And I put my little forty yeah. fives on there, and I would just play the same song over and over and over again. You you play Sergeant Pepper on, and I'm, this is an argument to this. You play Sergeant Pepper on record, and then you play Sergeant Pepper on CD. You're gonna hear way different things on the album than you ever will on the CD. There's hidden stuff in there. If you listen closely, it's there. Oh, I agree. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. And this whole subliminal message, we always used to, as younger, <laughs> we would always be like, maybe play it backwards. There's got to be subliminal yeah. message. <laughs> well, I'm not going to start there because that is open up a can of worms. But I'm just saying that I think vinyl's better. That's just my opinion. It's got, it's got such a cool feel to it. And to me, that's, you know, that's the way I would, that's what I grew up on. So to me, that's yeah. how music sounds. That's where you get them. I'll take the scratches. I'll take the pops. I'm okay with that. Well, yeah, and if you have the scratches and the pops, you simply take a piece of tape and tape a dime to the top of your <laughs> your needle thingy, and that holds it down set steady enough so you don't get the scratches as much. Exactly. <laughs> no, I know. So we're on the same wavelength there. So we, that's, yeah, uh, yeah, we we yeah. learned on the fly on how to do that when we were younger. <laughs> nothing, nothing beats the Beatles on vinyl. Nothing. No, nothing. I have to agree with that. I I have to agree. <laughs> My my parents were avid Beatle Beatle fans, and you know that yeah. was, that was their age. And 
So I grew up hearing that. That's what I grew up listening to the Beatles and the Drifters, the Coasters, the Platters. Oh, I love all that stuff. You know, it's funny. When I was 11 years old, well, John Lennon, John Lennon got assassinated when I was 11. I didn't go to school for two weeks. I was mourning at 11 years old. Wow. Yeah. So that's that's my passion. 60s all the way. Always. Always, always, always. It's a fascinating decade. It's an incredible decade. Yeah. I was born towards the end of it. So I'm, I'm more of a... Me student. too. I was born in 69. I'm I missed born, it by like a decade. I was born in 68. Yeah. So I'm more oh. of a 70s kid, but I've always been very fascinated by the 60s, that decade. Yeah. I missed my, miss my bow. It shaped the world. That decade shaped the world in many, many ways. Absolutely. So if you were ever to go back in time, you would more than likely go to the 60s. Oh, no question about it. No question. That would be my thing. Time travel. That's an interesting topic. <laughs> I'd love that. I would love that. I know. I would too. And there's That would there's be many, crazy. There's many decades I would I would love to go back to, but then I always think, okay, if I actually did, I would probably end up not at the right place in the right time and it would be really scary. But then maybe I would know what to do because I knew the history. My whole brain, I go a lot on that. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I would love to go back into the 40s. That'd be cool. I'd love to visit the 20s. That'd be cool as well. You know, late 1900s um, or 1800s. I mean, I would love to visit back in that time. There's just so much. There's so much that we could learn. Well, we should have learned already. But unfortunately, the world seems determined not to look at history and learn the lessons from it. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. 100%. Time travel. Yeah. Do you have any authors that write about time travel? There's a question. Uh, I believe that Robert J. Sawyer has written a book on time travel. And if he hasn't, he probably will at some point because he's like the biggest science fiction author there is. And yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. awesome. Yeah, it's cool. It yeah. is cool. I enjoy those types of books every once in a while. They're fun. Absolutely. It's amazing. So what is it that you would like to leave the listeners with? Like this gem, a gem of knowledge that you would like to leave the listeners with or you know, any of those beginning authors, those ones that are slogging away writing books. Yeah, and thank you for that because I think it's important. I mean, for indie authors especially, write quality, have a quality brand. You know, know what you want to do with your book and, and don't buy into all, all the fluff about what you need to do or, or what you should do. Your brand is your brand and don't change your brand or think you have to change your brand because someone else told you to. I'll give you an example of that. If Pink Floyd had believed their record label, their friends, their fans, and everybody else in the industry, we wouldn't have Dark Side of the Moon today because they were told multiple, multiple, multiple times not to record that album. And David Gilmour basically said, no, we're gonna do it our way. And if it flat, falls flat, then it falls flat. It was on Billboard for 15 years and it's recognized as one of the greatest albums of all time. And it almost didn't get recorded. And if Pink Floyd had been listening to their record label, it wouldn't have gotten recorded. So my point to that is as an author, if someone's trying to tell you how to do your business, don't try to second guess your audience, write for you. Because if you're writing it for yourself, you believe in the product. And ultimately, because you believe in the product, your readers will believe in the product. 
It'll definitely come through in your writing. It will. Absolutely. And your branding. And yeah. I've had that I've had that coaching moment multiple times with Mike. Well, Mickey, this has been awesome. I've got other questions I want to ask you, but you know what? That means we'll just have to have you on again in a few months' time. I would love that. And thank you for your support. And thank you for bringing me on. This has been incredibly enjoyable. Yeah, this has been fun. I've enjoyed it myself. And we will definitely have you on again in a few months' time because, well, you've got some new stuff coming up. And I want to see how it's going once it gets rocking and rolling here. I would be all over that. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. So, Mickey, thank you very much once again for being on Let Fear Bounce. And all of you out there listening today, thank you for tuning in each week to Let Fear Bounce. I am your host, Kim Langling. Everybody be well, stay well, and be blessed.